Thank you, thank you. Hey, man, welcome. How is everyone? I tell you, I'm so glad to be here today. It has been a rough little week. People keep asking me, how are you doing? I'm like, I've been sick all week. I'm so glad to be here. And uh, it's not just me. It is like this cold thing has been hitting so many people. I, I woke up yesterday. It was a real th- weird thing. Thursday and Friday, I woke up and started, I, I thought, man, I, I feel human again. I'm so grateful, you know? And then Saturday, I woke up and I felt like I was starting the whole thing all over again. And so I said, Lord, Lord, I really, I really want to be at Easter. So I, you got to do something. And uh, so I went to bed last night and uh, just said, Lord, it's all in your hands. And uh, so I woke up and I thought, okay, I think I can do this. So here we are. I'm going to, I got a throat lozenge and uh, I've got some tea and some water and somebody graciously put another little uh, throat lozenger there. So with that, I'm going to take a sip and then we're just going to pray and then we're going to see what the Lord wants to speak to us today. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let me take a sip. What's that? Oh, I'm not going anywhere. <laughs> Thank you, Lord, for that. Lord, we, we love you, Lord. We are thankful for what you're doing in this place today, Lord. We're, we're thankful that though we've had an amazing amount of rain this season, we are so grateful for what just watching the creeks running with water. Lord, thank you for that provision, but we're thankful that today that the, the skies are clear and the sun's out. And you've given us just a glorious space, glorious weather to just to celebrate the resurrection. So God, we love you. and We just invite you to do what you want to do today, Lord. And all of our brokenness, we just need you, Lord. And all of my brokenness, I pray that you'd speak through me, Lord. God, I'm so thankful that you are alive. I'm so thankful that day by day you walk with us. For those who call out to you and look to you, Lord, you are faithful, God, and you are faithful to everyone who would call out to you. So, Lord, I pray that um, we would continue to call out to you, and maybe there'll be people here today for the first time that says, yeah, I'm going to call out to Jesus. I'm going to trust Jesus in this life and for the next. And so, God, we just invite you to do wonderful and supernatural things. In Jesus' name, amen. So we've got kind of a unique theme for the day. The theme for the day is, he lives. (laughs) And uh, as we thought about that theme, I thought, man, it's so important that we get the eternal implications of that statement, that he lives. And because he lives, we have life and life abundantly in eternity, but also now. Because he lives, man, we can face the trials of our life. And man, there are plenty of trials and tests in our lives. There are plenty of hard things that we experience in this life. And the fact that Jesus lives after his earthly life, his crucifixion and his burial demonstrates his big picture, eternal perspective. God's not just about what's going on here. He's all about what's going on here, but he's also all about what's going on after this, in eternity. So Jesus was willing to suffer for a time and for a purpose. And we will experience the same thing in this life. We will all suffer for a time and for a purpose. Jesus suffered for a a time and a purpose for you and for me so that we might have eternal life. Humans, people, we also suffer in this life for a time and for a purpose. As I was thinking about this message this morning and talking to my wife, she shared with me a devotion that she was reading. And I thought, man, just I, I need to share that devotion with the church, with the people gathered, because it's so crucial to our understanding about who God is and what he's up to. We need to understand something about what God is doing in the earth, especially in light of difficulty, tra- trials and trauma and difficult things. So she got this from Streams of the Desert and it's titled Spiritual Force. Uh, Jacob in Genesis said, everything is going against me. Have you ever felt like that? Like, hey, everything is against me. This is what the devotion says. Romans eight twenty eight. we know that God causes everything to work together for the good 
of those who love him and are called according to his purposes, God's purposes. The devotion continues. Many people are wanting power, but where does that power come from? We want power to overcome. We want power to endure. We want power to enjoy life, but where does that power come from? It's not just given without a cost. There is a cost connected to the power. So how is power produced? Well, the writer says, the other day we passed by, we passed the great works where the trolley engines are supplied with electricity. We heard the hum and roar of the countless wheels and we asked our friend, how, how do they make the power? Why, he said, just by the revolution of those wheels and the friction they produce. Have you been experiencing any friction in your life, wondering what the purpose of the friction in your life is for? So just by the revolution of those wheels, the friction they produce, the rubbing creates the electric current. And so when God wants to bring more power into your life, he brings more pressure. Sometimes when we're feeling hard things in our lives, we think it's the enemy. We think it's the enemy of our soul, but sometimes it's God creating something in our lives to give us the grace and the power to live more fully for him. He is generating spiritual force by hard rubbing, by difficulty. And some do not like it and try to run away from the pressure instead of getting the power and using it to rise above the painful causes. Sometimes when we're going through hard things, we, we want nothing to do with it. But when we can stop and realize the big picture purpose of the challenging things that we're experiencing and know that God's developing something within us, we can, we can approach it with a whole new appreciation. It's still hard. I can't tell you how many times in the last week I pray, Lord, come on, Lord, just get this out of me, you know, like get this stuff out of me. I, it's, it's hard to imagine how much, uh, how much your body can produce in just, I mean, I've blown my nose a thousand times in the last week. It's just incredible. But God's been up to something. The devotional says opposition is essential to a true equilibrium of forces. The contra pedal and the contrafugal forces acting in opposition to each other keep our planet in orbit. The one propelling and the other repelling. So act and react that instead of sweeping it off into a space in a pathway of desolation, she pursues her even orbit around her solar center. I was watching something yesterday. I was watching a documentary about cruise ships, giant cruise ships. And they said the secret life of cruise ships. And during the documentary, they took us through all of the work that is required to keep this cruise ship floating. Above on the decks where the the uh, passengers are, there's dancing and there's music and there's fun and there's all kinds of laughter and all kinds of good things happening. But if you get into the bowels of the ship where the engines are, is loud and it's uncomfortable to be in there because of the noise and the, the, the smell and just everything that's going on. But that, all of that uncomfortable stuff is what is necessary to keep the ship afloat and moving toward its destination. So in our life, it's both and. We're going to, in the bow of our lives, we're gonna have things that are difficult, but it's in those difficult moments that we're building something of strength and stamina to endure life and to enjoy life. So it's both and. God is working uh, through harsh and difficult circumstances of our lives to develop something within us. He's got purpose in all that is happening in our lives. Jesus lived and died and was resurrected in this tension, in this tension that we call life. And so we must live and die and be resurrected in the same tension. And so in this life, there are gonna be challenges and difficulties. As I've walked around just this morning talking to just about everybody that I've come in contact with, somebody's dealing with something difficult in their life. The loss of a loved one, a sickness, 
a fall, something that has been difficult in their lives. And I'm here to tell you that we're in this together. There's a tension in this life that God is using to develop us and to help us to put our trust fully in him. It's not for naught and it's not wasted on us if we see it for what it is. It is God's purposes being worked out in our life. Why? Because he's not only concerned about this life, but he's concerned about your eternal life as well. I chose a text of the Bible that I believe effectively communicates the benefits of the resurrection for our eternity and also for our day to day. Those who put their trust in Christ for salvation have an eternal hope because of his resurrection. But it's also exceedingly helpful to know that we have current hope and current help because of his resurrection, because he lives. So as we go through these incredible and increasingly difficult times, it's very important for us to realize, like we'll see in this story in John 11, we need to remember and recognize that Jesus is with us. He's not distant and far off, but he is with us as we go through these difficult times. Because he lives, we have hope and help for the day-to-day challenges of life. You know, tests hit us all in this life. If not now, someone says, if you're not experiencing a test now, you're either coming out of one, about to experience one, or you're on the other side of one, but there's always a test coming. We'll be reading a Bible text about a significant test hitting Jesus' followers and his closest friends. I think it's important for us to look at the word of God and see that then in the first century and now in the 21st century, Jesus Christ is the same. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And what he was doing then, what we'll be reading about in John 11, he is still doing today. So I've titled the message, Because He Lives, We Can See Purpose in life's tests. And we absolutely must, we absolutely have to see God's purpose in the midst of our tests. If we don't lift up our eyes and see God's purpose in the midst of our tests, we risk getting discouraged and wanting to walk away from God altogether. We risk being offended by God and in our misunderstanding, walk away from the creator of our lives, the one who wants to give us eternal life. It's been a difficult season for these last few months. Since January, in the last few months, I've lost eight people. Eight people in my life have passed away. Four family members and four friends. Eight people in my life that passed. Now, for whatever reason, in in our church over the last 20 years or so, we kind of see people dying off in like groups of three. And so when one dies, we're like, (coughs) well, there just might be a couple more around the bend. It's not a cynical perspective. It's just a realistic perspective, you know? People die, but when you hit three and you're ready to take a breath, and then four, and then five, and then six, and then seven, and you think there's nobody else in the queue because like up to this point, the people who have passed have been, you know, getting ready to pass. And we've expected them to pass. And so at seven, we're thinking we're done. And then number eight hits and a good friend of mine who is my age, he passed. And then we're just back on our heels. We're confused and perplexed about what God is doing. On top of all of that, I, I've been sick like so many of you have been sick. I had stomach flu for <laughs> about a week, and then I was healthy for about a week, and now for the last eight, nine days, I've had this dumb head and chest cold. I'm like, Lord, what gives? Like, what are you doing? And it's been in the season that the Lord's really shown me that he's up to something. He's up to something good, something that can't be accomplished apart from hardship. But in the midst of the difficulty, he is breathing life and and offering wisdom and grace and strength so that we can continue to keep our eyes on him and continue to follow him in spite 
in spite of all of the challenging circumstances in our lives. John 11 is about death. It's about the death of Lazarus. Lazarus was Jesus' good friend. Mary and Martha, Lazarus' sisters, they were Jesus' good friends. And so as we read the story about how Jesus handled this scenario, we can choose to be perplexed or we can see the bigger picture purposes in the way, for, in the, for, for the purpose of what God was doing in that scenario in John chapter 11. So let's just take a look at John chapter 11, verse one, it says this. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So these weren't fly-by-night, half-hearted followers of Jesus. These were committed followers of Jesus, and hard things were happening in their lives. They were all in, and yet difficulty still came into their lives. So the sisters went to him, verse three, saying, Lord, he whom you love, he's ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God so that the son of God may be glorified through it. Because he lives, we can see purpose in life's test. Number one, the test is usually for reasons we don't currently understand. I think we can all identify with that reality. Like we may not fully understand the purpose for the test in the here and now, but down the road and ultimately in eternity, we'll, we will have clarity, but God is doing something in the midst of the test. Quick story about the Congo. On the 100th year anniversary of Christian missionaries going into the Congo, there was a, a big celebration. There was planned music. <coughs> Excuse me, planned music. And speakers. It was gonna be this glorious celebration of 100 years of ministry in the Congo. And so as... People gathered and the celebration was getting ready to, to ensue. There was one lone survivor who was there a hundred years earlier, who was there when the original Christian missionaries went to the Congo. And the natives, they were uncertain about this message that these Christian missionaries were bringing to them. And, they were uncertain and they weren't sure that they could trust the message. And so they devised a plan. And so they begin to slowly and steadily and systematically, they begin to poison the missionaries. And as the missionaries got sick and as they began to say goodbye, uh, as a husband would say goodbye to his wife and his Kids would say goodbye to their parents and his friends would say goodbye to friends as they were passing from this poison that was given to them by the natives. The natives, because of the way these missionaries chose to die, they realized that the message was genuine. They believed the message because these missionaries refused to give up in spite of death and illness, in spite of opposition, in spite of what seemed like everything in their life was falling apart, they didn't give up. They continued to love Jesus all the way till the end. They continued to proclaim the gospel all the way until the end. And so this 100 plus year old missionary told this story. He said, we we didn't believe their message 
until we got a chance to see how they would die. What if those missionaries had given up? What if they said, you know, the opposition is too much? We didn't expect this opposition. We didn't expect to get sick. We didn't expect to die. This surely isn't good for us. It's not good for our kids. What if they had an, an earthly perspective instead of an eternal perspective? What if they gave up? There would be no 100-year celebration. There would be no gospel in the Congo. There would never be the realization that God used a very difficult trial and test to prove that his message was genuine. The test in the Congo would serve to show the glory of God. The test in John 11 will prove to show the glory of God and the test in your life today, the stuff that you're going through right now can prove and can demonstrate the glory of, of God. If you decide by his grace, if you decide to keep your eyes on him and to continue to trust him and to continue to believe him and continue to love him, if you will trust in the midst of the test, we will see the glory of God. God does everything for his glory and for your good. To know and understand and believe this, you have to maintain an eternal perspective, a kingdom perspective. And that's difficult in this day and age, especially as things get difficult. We, we tend to circle the wagons and just get concerned about our own lives. And God would say, that's not what I'm calling you to. I'm calling you to in the midst of this difficulty to look up and to look out and to see what I might do in the midst of it. If a test will cause you to trust Jesus for the first time or for the hundredth time, if that test has been worth it. Back to John 11, verse five, it says, now Jesus, he loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. He loved the people that were going through the tests. He loves you. He's not distant. He is present, but he is accomplishing something in the midst of this test. And if we will just keep our eyes on him, we will see, we will see what God is up to. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. We don't often understand what God is up to, but we can trust that God is up to something good. Number one, the test is usually for reasons we don't currently understand. And number two, the test always lasts longer than expected. And so expect that. Expect that the test is gonna linger because there's purpose in the lingering. There's purpose in the test. For reasons we may never fully understand, God allows tests to come into our lives to develop something in us. Maybe endurance is needed. Maybe endurance is needed in our lives. I can tell you from experience, a short test, a short test doesn't develop endurance. A long-lasting test develops endurance. We need to make some decisions in our lives when we're being tested. Am I looking at the temporal or am I looking at the eternal? Am I trusting the circumstances or am I trusting God? God, I don't like this right now. Have you ever said that? God, I don't like this right now. I've said that, I can't tell you how many times in the last <coughs> few months. But you can also say, but God, I'm going to continue to go through this. Again, the temptation is to quit and run. 
when I was a younger man and had better knees, I decided that I would train for a marathon. Up to that point, I had been running 5K and 10K races. Well, a 10K race, 10 kilometers, is 6.2 miles. A marathon is 26.2 miles. And so I began to do the research because I knew that my training for a 6.2 mile race would never get me through a 26.2 mile race. I needed to develop some endurance in my body so that I could actually finish the race. And so as I read up on what it would take for me to complete a marathon, I realized that I needed to up my game and really begin to train. I needed to build endurance in my body so that I could complete the task. If I went out on race day and had only prepared for 6.2 miles, I might make it to eight or nine or 10, but I'm never making it to 26.2. I bet God's building endurance in you because he's got a race for you to run. He's trying to build endurance in you so that you can accomplish the supernatural plans and purposes that he's got for you in this life. And so you gotta, you gotta build the endurance. And that takes a long time. It took me months and months and months of running, not just six miles, not just 10 miles, not just 12, 15, but 17, 18, 19 miles. They, they say if you can run 18, 19 miles, then you can run the 26.2. There's something about the endurance that is developed so that at some point you're just able to finish the race even if you don't run the full 26.2 in your practice runs. By God's grace, race day came and something happened. We had to travel and I wasn't able to make the race. <laughs> but I, my son was back from, from college and I said, hey, Curtis, will you help me? Will you ride my mountain bike and just help me run this race, you know? We provide resource for me, like food and drink and that sort of thing. And uh, so he rode and I ran and I ran and I ran and about 18 miles in, I got the biggest, hardest cramp in my leg. It was the craziest thing. I ended up walking the last portion of it, but I finished it, right? I finished it. So sometimes our finishing isn't all that pretty. <laughs> but the important thing is that we cross the finish line. And we will have a greater opportunity to cross the finish line if we allow God to develop something of endurance in our lives. And that's not gonna come easy. It's not gonna come quick. It comes over a process of life experiences where God is accomplishing something in our lives, something that will allow us to endure. So maybe greater endurance is needed in your life. Maybe it's greater faith. You need just, you need greater faith in your life. You can't develop greater faith in your life until your faith is put to the test. It's easy to trust God when things are easy. Faith is developed when things are hard, when they're difficult, when they don't make sense. It's in those seasons that we have the opportunity to build that faith muscle. We're saying, God, I don't understand what you're doing or why these things are happening, but I'm choosing, I'm deciding, I'm making a statement for my life that I'm putting my faith in you. And when we do that against all odds, when we put our faith in God against all odds and continue the course against all odds, something is built within us. Endurance and faith, there's strength built into the, the foundation of who we are. We call it rebar in the foundation of our Christian lives. There's strength holding and enduring strength that is built into us when we keep our eyes on God in the midst of the test, in the midst of the storm. Again, it's easy to trust God when things are easy, when things are difficult. When things are difficult, for a long time, that's a different story. When things are difficult for a long time, that's a different story. It's in those seasons especially that we need to say yes to Jesus. 
When we don't understand what's going on, we need to say, God, I'm putting my faith in you. I want you to develop something in me. In a long season of difficulty, your faith is either getting stronger or it's diminishing. And it's totally up to you. In a long struggle, a long test, your faith can diminish if you let it. Or supernaturally so, your faith can get stronger if you stay the course. So I'm asking you today, don't let your faith diminish, but let it grow so that you're able to continue to stand firm as a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. Maybe you're here today and the tests of your life have caused your faith to diminish. The tests have hindered your ability to continue forward, fully believing Jesus. Can I just invite you back? Can I just encourage you that God's grace is sufficient and that he'll welcome you. He's not far from you. He wants your whole heart and your whole mind and he's, he's drawing you back in, ready to offer grace and forgiveness for your season of weakness and doubt because we've all had them. I've had them this very week where I'm like, Lord, I don't know what you're doing. This season has been hard, Lord. I don't know what you're up to. But I know that I got nowhere else to turn. Where else am I going to turn? Jesus has given me eternal life. He's loved me unconditionally. He continues to forgive my sin. Where am I going to go? And so, yes, Lord, I'm choosing to walk through this test, not knowing how things are going to turn out, but knowing that things are going to be okay and even good and even glorious because you're in the midst of it. Whether developing endurance or faith, God is up to something in your test and he is right there with you. When people were grieving the loss of Lazarus, the Bible tells us in John eleven thirty five 35 that Jesus wept Jesus knew that there would be a resurrection, that Lazarus would come out of the tomb. He knew, but he still felt the pain and the sorrow and the suffering of those who were grieving the loss of Lazarus. And so with the people, Jesus wept. He was right there with them. He felt the deep pain, the people in this circumstance were feeling. He knew the outcome, but he still felt the pain. Back to John 11, verse 7. Then after this, he said to his disciples, let us, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you, and you are going there again? You know, Jesus went through his own tests in this life. Everywhere he went, people were harsh and critical, trying to find fault with him, trying to stone him, and they ultimately crucified him. Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. Jesus is saying, hey, don't worry. Don't worry about what they may try to do to me. I still have work to do. And that needs to be our perspective. Hey, we need not worry about what they will try to do to our bodies and to our, our lives here on this earth. We've got work to do. And the world will try to discourage us from that work. The enemy of our souls will try to discourage us from that work, our flesh will want to give up in the, in the midst of that work. But God's saying, hey, Jesus, by his own example, hey, don't worry about me. I got work to do. Let's just go do 
what we're called to do. His night would come, his crucifixion, but for now he had work to do. John eleven eleven. after saying these things, he said to them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he meant taking rest in sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I am glad that I was not there so that you may believe. But let us go to him. So number one, the test is usually for reasons we don't currently understand. Two, the test always takes longer than we expect. And number three, the test is designed to teach us something. The test is designed to teach us something. So Thomas, called a twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go, then we may die with him. We don't always understand immediately what God is trying to teach us. And Thomas, in his zeal, completely misunderstood what God was up to. Sometimes we're going through hard stuff and we... We think maybe God's doing this. We most likely won't be able to fully figure out what God is up to. But God is up to something. He's teaching us something. Thomas missed it. He'll get it though, as he continues to walk with Jesus and see the outcome of the miracle that is coming. When we are in the test, we need to keep asking the question, God, what are you trying to teach me? The temptation is to say, God, what are you doing? But usually that question comes from a place of frustration, anger, confusion. God, what are you doing? But if we can just rephrase that just a little bit and say, God, what are you trying to teach me? For me, that comes from a totally different place in my heart. It comes from a place of humility and gratitude. Like, Lord, I don't understand, but I, I think you're here with me and I believe that you're trying to t teach me something. So instead of saying, God, what are you doing? I, I want to say, God, what are you trying to teach me? And that keeps my heart in the right place. And it keeps my eyes on Jesus. And it keeps me in the right perspective. Back to John eleven seventeen. 17. Now, when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Was Jesus too late? That's our perspective sometimes. We're like, he's been dead four days, Jesus. Where have you been? Jesus is never too late. If we'll just keep our eyes on him and watch what he intends to do. Bethany was near, verse 16. Bethany was near, or excuse me, verse 18. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off. And many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Martha had a great deal of faith in spite of the circumstances. Her brother was dead. But she continued to model for us what it means to trust Jesus. God, I, I don't know what you're up to, but I, I know whatever you say will happen. She had a great deal of faith in spite of the circumstances. Sometimes the circumstances deflate our faith. Sometimes they inflate our faith. What will we choose? Will we choose to be built up in our most holy faith when things are hard? Or will we allow our faith to deflate? We can hold one of two perspectives. God, this is impossible. Nothing can be done. Or... God, this is impossible. 
you must have something great planned. <laughs> it's all about our heart condition toward God and what we choose. Our emotions will thrash us and throw us about. But if we choose faith and if we choose to keep our eyes on Jesus, we will stand firm. Jesus told her in verse 23, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. <laughs> Jesus just gave the gospel in the simplest of terms. Let's read it again. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. There can be no life without the resurrection. Resurrection and life, or new life, go hand in hand. In Christ, you will die a physical death, but you will live eternally. You will be given a new eternal body that will exist with God forever. There's only one way to experience the resurrection of your life. You must put your faith in the resurrected one. You must put your faith in the person and the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ. You must trust that he will give you new life now and forever. You must trust that this new life comes as Jesus forgives your sins. Your new life comes as Jesus adopts you into his family. Your new life comes as Jesus leads you in your day today. As we get ready to wrap up here, Jesus continues in verse 26. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? <laughs> Martha agreed. <laughs> she said, yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. Martha believed what is needed to come into a faith relationship with Jesus. Martha believed Jesus in spite of the circumstances. You know, Jesus' words to Martha had a double meaning. Jesus was saying two things. Number one, Jesus was telling Martha that her brother would rise from the dead now. And two, and later, also later, he would rise from the dead. Both were true. Lazarus would be resurrected. Then, and in the resurrection, dropping down to verse 38, Jesus raises Lazarus. The thing that we've been waiting for. Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, my, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believe, you would see the glory of God? True then, true now. If we will just believe, we will see the glory of God. We will see the purposes of God. What did they do next? They did what Jesus told them to do. In spite of the impossible circumstances, Lazarus has been dead in the tomb for four days. And Jesus called them into a place of faith. He could have rolled the stone, but he asked them to do it as a step of faith. They did what Jesus told them to do. Believing always leads to obedience. It's not real believing if there's not real obedience. Believing always leads to obedience. So they took away the stone. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I love this next verse. He says, I knew that you always hear me, but I said this 
on account of the people standing around that they may believe that you sent me. And when he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out! And Lazarus, after four days in the tomb, he's alive. God is a miracle-working God, and if we will just keep our eyes on him in the midst of the test, in the midst of the difficulty of our life, there's a glorious end if we will just keep our eyes on him. The man who had died came out, his hands and his feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. There's freedom and new life when we, as human beings, as people, will believe and out of that belief operate from a place of obedience, believing God. So I don't know what your life experience is up to this point, but I know because it's part of the human experience that you've been tested. And some have been derailed by the tests. But I want to say that God loves you. And his arms are wide open to you. He's been there with you all along. And if you will just turn to him and get your eyes back on him, you will begin to see the purpose of the test, that he's been trying to build something of strength and stamina, greater faith in your life. He's building something in you because he loves you. He is building something in you because he's got great purpose for you. He's alive and because he's alive, we have eternal hope and help, but we have a present hope and help as well. Can I invite you to give your life to Jesus? Maybe you're here and you're gonna give your life to Jesus for the first time as the worship team comes forward. Maybe you're here and you're, you're saying, man, I need to give my life back to Jesus. I've, I've been drifting because I, I just haven't handled things very well. You can take that. I just want to pray with you as someone who's on the journey with you. As not someone who has arrived or has figured it all out. I promise you I haven't. But what I have figured out is that Jesus is who he said he is. He is the savior of the world and his grace is sufficient. He loves and he loves unconditionally, wonderfully so, through all of the ups and downs and the difficult seasons of our lives. He promises never to leave us nor forsake us. We can walk away and sometimes we do, but like the prodigal, The father's waiting. The prodigal son walked away, but when he was ready, the the father, his father welcomed him back in. And so I just want to say you are welcome. You're welcome back in. So let's go ahead and stand and I'm going to pray with you. If you're here today and you've heard the message and you know that you need to give your life to Jesus, real belief equals obedience. The people believed Jesus and they rolled the stone away knowing that Jesus had done something. So I'm going to challenge you today in love and with grace. I'm going to challenge you today to say yes to Jesus. Don't let today pass. Don't let another day pass when you postpone or procrastinate your decision. In spite of what others may think, in spite of what others may feel about your decision, it is between you and God. So if you're here today and you want to give your life to Jesus for the first time, say, say in the quietness of your heart or out loud, I don't care. Just say, Jesus, I am yours. God, I need you. Please come into my life. Thank you for forgiving me of my sin. Thank you for loving me unconditionally. Thank you for adopting me into your family. I am yours and you are mine and I will follow you all the days of my life. Maybe you're here today and you need to rededicate your life with the same boldness, I encourage you and challenge you with the same love and grace, I encourage you and challenge you. Make your day of decision 
today by faith and say, Jesus, I'm sorry, I've drifted. I don't want to drift anymore. I want to follow you. I want to serve you. And God, I want, I want to thrive in the midst of the test and not shrink back. Lord, I want to do well in the midst of the trials and difficulties of this life and not shrink back. And so I want my faith built. I want my endurance built. And so today I'm deciding to follow you again. And I'm going to get up every morning and do the same thing. Say, today I'm going to follow you. As we're praying, there's going to be a baptism. Your right, to your right and to my left. And there's so there's a baptism tent over there and there's a prayer tent over there. And so if you're signed up to get baptized or if you're saying, hey, today I've given my life to Jesus and as a demonstration, a public de declaration of my faith, I'm gonna get baptized today. We've got trunks and t-shirts and, and if we run out of trunks and t-shirts, we'll baptize you in your clothes. But if today's been a day where you've given your life back to Jesus, or if today's been the day that you said for the first time, I've given, given my life to Jesus, then make a public declaration of your faith and go get baptized. There's a prayer team that's gonna be in the prayer tent as well. So there's a prayer tent and a baptism tent. So there'll be a prayer team over there. If you need prayer for anything, and I'm certain there's a lot of people who need prayer for a lot of stuff. So I'm encouraging you to during these next songs, make your way over to the prayer tent for prayer or over to the baptism tent to get baptized. And as we sing, we're gonna start baptizing people in Jesus' name. If you want someone to pray with you to accept Christ, you can go to that prayer tent as well. If you wanna tell somebody that you've given your life to Jesus, you can go to that prayer tent as well. I encourage you to come back next week at our main campus 102 West Branch. Join us for church, 9 and 11 a.m. That's where you will grow in your most holy faith. That's where you'll be encouraged in your most holy faith. That's where wonderful things will happen in your faith. So I encourage you to join us. And so Lord, as we wrap this service up, this, this part of the service, as we begin to worship you, Lord, as people begin to, begin to make their way to the baptism tent and to the prayer tent, we just thank you for what you've done. God, I'm so thankful for the team that put this place together, that worked so hard, Lord God, to create an atmosphere, a place where we could worship you and honor you on this resurrection day. We love you. We thank you for your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.